Our first reading is from the book of Genesis 2, verse 15 through 17, and it's found in page 3 in your pew Bibles. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Our next reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, and is found on page 5 in your pew Bibles. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Our reading from the New Testament is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, and it's found on page 1499 in your pew Bibles. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, speak to us today. 
May our thoughts be your thoughts, may our words be your words. As we embark on this Lenten journey together, O God, may you reveal to us places in our lives, things that we carry, relationships that uh, need your touch and your grace. God, may these 40 days be a time of deep examination of our lives. And may we follow you wherever you may lead. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Someone sent me this joke this week, and I said to her, I said, you know, if you send me a joke, it may find its way into my sermon. And she said, that's why I sent it to you. I said, well, John Smith was the only Protestant to move into a large Catholic neighborhood. On the first Friday of Lent, John was outside grilling a big, juicy steak on his grill. Do you all know the joke? I don't know if I should even keep going. <clears throat> all of his neighbors were eating tuna fish salad for supper. This went on every Friday during Lent. On the last Friday of Lent, the neighborhood men got together and decided that something just had to be done about John. He was just tempting them to eat meat every Friday of Lent, and they couldn't take it anymore. They decided to try to convert him to become Catholic. They went over and they talked with him, and they were so happy that he decided to join his neighbors and to become a Catholic. They took him to church, and the priest uh, accepted him into the church and said, You know, John, you were born a Baptist, you were raised a Baptist, and now you're a Catholic. So the men of the neighborhood were so relieved, their biggest Lenten temptation was resolved. The next year's Lent rolled around, and the first Friday of Lent came, and just at supper time, when the neighborhood was settling down to their fish dinners, came the wafting smell of steak, cooking on a grill. The neighborhood men could not believe their noses. What was going on? They called each other up and they decided that they would go over to John's house and to see if he'd forgotten that it was a Friday in Lent. The group arrived just in time to see John standing over his grill with his hands over the stake, saying these words, You were born a cow, you were raised a cow, and now you are a fish. My, my. You see, friends, there's always a workaround, isn't there? There's always a workaround. Well, we are in the season of Lent, and whether you eat fish on Fridays or steak on Fridays, we're, we're on this journey now together. began on Ash Wednesday, and Lent is 40 days, with the exception of what day? Sunday. Because even in Lent, every Sunday is a little Easter. So you can sneak your M&M's and your Reese's peanut butter cups on Sunday, preferably not during the sermon. Lent actually comes from an old English word that means greening or springtime. So it's a season as around us there are little signs of life starting to peek out here and there. We're getting ready to enter this season of spring, and it just coincides with this season of the church year. 
where Jesus is a model and an example for us. His temptation of 40 days in the wilderness. The church, the ancient church, this practice of Lent, um, this is not something that the Catholics invented 600 years ago. The practice of Lent goes back to the earliest times of the church, where the church set aside 40 days leading up to Easter. It was a time for all sorts of things. Those who wanted to, to join the church, new converts to the faith, were discipled in, in what the faith meant. And um, this, this new system that they had joined, they'd be received in uh, as baptized Christians on Easter. It was a time for people who'd been estranged from the church, um, either uh, by something that had happened or something that they had done. They had, there was some separation between them and the church. And Lent was a time where they would become back into the life of the church. It was also a time for individual and communal introspection and fasting, giving things up, whether that was something, uh, something that one ate or a habit or a practice of some sort. It was a time to look at one's relationship with God and to find out what might stand in the way between us communing more deeply and more fully with God. And so this is a, an important season in the life of the church as we head up to Easter to take these 40 days and to be intentional about our relationship with God. During the season of Lent, the first Sunday of Lent, we're given these two readings from Genesis and from Matthew. And perhaps when you heard Mary read them, you thought, okay, how, how do these... How do these relate and connect to each other? Um, But they do. Genesis, the first temptation recorded in Scripture. And there Jesus wrestles with the tempter being tempted in the wilderness. Three temptations over 40 days. It reminds us that temptation in the book of Genesis. Temptation is as fundamental and as ancient to the human experience as anything else. Adam and Eve placed in the garden, these two individuals who are living in perfection, unity with each other and with God. Uh, The the writer of Genesis tells us that, that God himself communed with Adam and Eve in the garden. This state of perfection. And then along comes temptation. Lest we judge Adam and Eve too harshly, friends, I think the point of this story, one of the points of this story from Genesis 2 and 3 is this. Had you and I been in the garden, the exact same thing would have happened. It's a commentary on human nature and how easily we succumb to temptation. Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and the tempter comes along in the form of a snake. And if you listen closely to what Mary read in Genesis chapter 3, there's a distortion. The evil one always distorts the good. It's a belief that Christians have had about Satan for, from time immemorial. Satan can't create. Evil is not a creative process. All it can do is distort and twist God's intention. 
And so the devil comes along and says, God said you can't eat any of the fruit in the tree. And Eve says, well, that's not quite true. We can eat of all this fruit, but this one tree, God said to not touch. And the devil says, well, you know, that's just because then you'll be like God. Then you'll be like God. That's why you will know good and evil. And we know the story. Eve takes the fruit. Adam takes the fruit. And then there's a fundamental change in their relationship with each other and with God because they give in to that temptation. And what is that temptation? Is it about the fruit? No. Is it about the tree? No. The temptation is all about this. Instead of God being the one who defines relationships, the one who defines good and evil, instead of God being the one who sets the terms, individuals now become the arbiters of what is right and wrong. Each one of us, human beings, now the temptation is for Adam and Eve and for us to put ourselves in the place of God. Don't we see that? all around us every day in a million different ways is this human proclivity to put ourselves in the place of God, to be the ones who make the decisions, to be the ones who set the terms. When the design is that God is the one who sets the terms for us. And look at the freedom that God gives Adam and Eve. There's a billion things that they're given permission to do, except for one, except for one. And in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, he's given three temptations. And if you notice, they escalate. Look at the geography of the temptations. They begin low. The satisfaction of sensual desire, right? We all get hungry, don't we? We all get hungry to satisfy our needs, pleasure of all sort, all good, to find on God's terms. And the temptation that Jesus faces, these three temptations that move increasingly higher, starting on the ground, then moving to the parapet, the pinnacle of the temple, and then moving to a high mountain, starting with pleasure and then moving slowly to fame and reputation and power. And the evil one comes along and tempts Jesus. For Jesus, in his human nature, to be the one who makes the calls. And Jesus, what does he do? Each Time, each time he's tempted, quote scripture. And you notice after the first temptation, the devil catches on to what Jesus is doing, and the devil starts to quote scripture too. Again, taking what is good, what is right, but distorting it toward ends that are not honoring to God. That's the devil's playbook. And Jesus, over and again, these three times, as the temptations move to higher and higher levels, more alluring, 
more intriguing, pulling at the things that appeal to all of us. Who doesn't want to have all of our needs met on our terms? Who doesn't want fame and power and reputation on our terms? The appeal to the ego was so strong then and is so strong now. And yet over and over again in the Gospels we find this. What does Jesus say? That a life worth living, a life in communion with each other and with God, a life that is defined by goodness and selflessness and love, first flows from God into us and then out around us. We are not the ones. We are not the ones. It is God working through us. So friends, the temptation is there for us to take what is good and to twist it to our own ends. That's the fundamental impetus behind each temptation. From the Garden of Eden to Jesus in the wilderness. So what do we do? Are we hopeless? Not at all. Jesus gives us a model. What does Jesus do? Quote scripture. What is the primary method by which God communicates to each one of us? Scripture. These ancient words, which are as relevant for the living of our days now as they were when they were first spoken or written down. This, my friends, this, this is what aids us in temptation, is to know what's in here. To have it become such a part of our lives that like Jesus, we can just quote it when temptation comes along. The season of Lent, friends, for the church is, yes, there's a time to give things up. But the church also says, maybe this is a time to take something on, to adopt something new, something that will aid us in our worship of God and our devotion to Him and following Him. I want to encourage you this Lent. As temptation comes at us every day from all directions, in small ways and in big ways, in conscious and unconscious ways, to adopt a practice that brings you so close to God That when temptation comes, you are able, like Jesus, to stand against it. To recognize that in the temptation, as appealing as it may be on the surface, right below it is destruction and death. Because it puts each one of us in the place of God. And all we have to do is look down through history and see people who have put themselves in the place of God. And then the evil and the destruction that has resulted. Know your scripture. Pray. Draw close to God. Do what you need to do in these 40 days. So that when life comes along and a voice comes in your ear, 
tempting you to make yourself the center, tempting you to use other people and things as an end unto themselves, tempting you to go against what you know is right and good. May you be so in tune with the God who loves you so much that you can see the temptation when it comes. Holding on to Jesus, rebuke it so that it flees from you. Amen.